My name's Alistair Bird, and I'm a former minister for the Middle East. As such, and as a backbench MP for over three decades, I've taken a long interest in the Middle East peace process in various iterations and lived through a number of moments of significance, some recognised as such at the time and others only later. We're approaching one such moment already recognised as such, the potential for Israel to proceed with elements of the so-called Trump plan, most notably from July the 1st, the annexation of land currently designated by international laws occupied, although Israel disputes both terms. To discuss this, I've recorded for the Conservative Middle East Council in the last couple of weeks, a series of podcasts of around 40 minutes each, and I express my very warm thanks and appreciation to Hussam Zumlot, the head of the Palestinian mission to the UK, to Mark Regev, the outgoing ambassador of the State of Israel, Nikolai Mladnov, the UN Special Coordinator for the Peace Process, and Ian Black, journalist and author, most notably of Enemies and Neighbours, Arabs and Jews in Palestine and Israel, 1917 to 2017. I hope you agree this could not be a more informed group at such a time. All along standing friends, and my approach has been to let Hussan Zumlot and Mark Regev largely make their own case, Nikolai Mladenov to explain how he is approaching this particular moment, and then discuss all three with Ian Black. So thank you for joining us, and I hope you find the talks worth your time, which is much appreciated. My guest on uh, today's podcast is Ian Black, who is a noted journalist and author who has covered region for over 30 years, uh, and is the author in particular of a very important seminal work entitled Enemies and Neighbours, Arabs and Jews in Palestine and Israel, 1917 to 2017, which was a comprehensive history of the, uh, uh, of the area, the areas of conflict and difficulty, and a, uh, a, a walk through the major issues relating to the Middle East peace process and attempts to settle this. So, Ian, thank you very much for, for joining me this morning. I wanted to start by saying, in your experience, how serious do you think this present situation is as we approach annexation? Is it is it a significant issue or is this just another milestone along the way? And in five years time, we will wonder what we were talking about. No, I think it is a, a, a very significant moment. Um, I think that if it goes ahead, we can talk, uh, I'm sure, about what happens if it doesn't go ahead, because it's not clear exactly what's going to happen. But if it does go ahead, uh, even in uh, a more minimalist approach from the Israeli side, I think it will uh, have significant consequences. Uh, most importantly, I think it will mark the end of what has for a very, very long time been considered to be the only solution to what is uh, arguably the world's most intractable conflict. And that is uh, on the basis of two states for two peoples. It goes back a long way uh, to the Peel, British Peel Commission of 1937, 20 years into the British uh, control of Palestine, less in terms of the, of the, uh, of the mandatory period. But the Peel Commission uh, concluded in, in 1937 that uh, the national aspirations of Jews and Arabs in Palestine were irre irreconcilable. And that the, the only way to resolve the conflict was to use the language of the time, partition 
partition between Jewish and and and, and an Arab state. This and is because that, they are two nationalistic drives. They're two nationalistic drives which are claiming the same territory. Yeah, broadly broadly speaking, and um, that's in modern terms that's the two state solution. If unilateral Israeli annexation goes ahead from July the first. Um, the um, the concept of a two state solution will be uh, will be will be dead, or it'll be you know to vary the metaphor the last nail in the coffin of etc cetera, etc. Cetera. A unilateral move by Israel, supported by the United States under Donald Trump, will effectively uh, render uh, impossible uh, the idea of an agreed two-state solution to this most intractable of conflicts. And that is its significance. Whether it will happen is another question, uh, and we can discuss that, uh, I'm sure. But if it does go ahead, uh, it will be a very, very significant moment. I mean, you know, I spent a lot of my working life dealing with this issue. Um, I think it will be uh, as important, if you like, as the the war of 1948 or the war of 1967, a unilateral Israeli move opposed vigorously internationally, supported, yes, by the United States, obviously opposed by the Palestinian side and indeed much of the uh, Arab world. So if it goes ahead, it will be a very, very important and negative moment. I discussed this with both the uh, with Hossam Zomla, the head of the Palestinian mission to the UK, and Mark Regev, the Israeli ambassador, and uh, clearly differing views on on what may happen next. But I think an acceptance from both that this was a very significant moment. Uh, you've listened to both interviews. Is there anything that was particularly surprising? in what the ambassadors said. I did give them the opportunity to speak at length about their position. Was there anything you thought that was different or new or anything that gave you a hint uh, about what may happen next from what they said? Well, they were, of course, uh, they are, of course, both uh, highly experienced uh, diplomats. Uh, Hassan Zumlut was, of course, as you d- discussed in the podcast, the, uh, the, uh, the PLO representative, the PLO ambassador, uh, in Washington before he was thrown out uh, effectively by um, by President Trump. Mark Regev is also a similarly uh, highly experienced uh, diplomat. They're both smooth and articulate uh, exponents of their uh, government's uh, view. In the case of Hassan Zanot, the, the Palestinian Authority. Um, no, I don't think I was surprised by anything they said, I, I noted uh, much more what they didn't say, uh, and I could uh, I could go through each one. I mean, for example, Hossam Zamlot, if the if the annexation goes ahead, it will increase popular pressure on the Palestinian Authority in Ramallah. That's uh, on the basis of the Oslo Accords of 1993-1995, more precisely, uh, I think it will increase pressure on the Palestinian Authority 
to uh, disband itself or to allow armed, well, certainly resistance against Israel's uh, unilateral annexationist move. The PA has threatened before to disband itself and hand the keys back. and It doesn't quite do that because there are other vested interests that keep it in place. Well, that's certainly true. But I think that if annexation goes ahead, and of course it does depend on the degree of annexation, uh, and again, that's an important variable in this situation, that, you know, the, the, the PA has its own interests. But um, if it if it doesn't respond to a unilateral Israeli move to annex parts of the West Bank, then I think it will be um, in a, a very difficult position. So, so for example, uh, it's not clear to me at least what the suspension of sec security coordination with Israel means in practical terms. Uh, Mahmoud Abbas, the uh, Palestinian president has threatened to do that many times in the past, um, but it, it, it basically will, if annexation goes ahead, it will increase the pressure on the PA and make it much harder for it to act as the representative of the Palestinian people. There's no peace process. Uh, Israeli annexation will go ahead largely unchallenged. And for younger Palestinians in particular, uh, this has long been the perception that the, the PA is basically complicit in maintaining the status quo. Uh, in, most, in its most extreme version, it's described as a subcontractor of the Israeli occupation. So Hassan Zamluk didn't talk about that at all. Um, and I think that will be a problem if it goes ahead. Of course, it's a generational thing too. Uh, Mahmoud Abbas Abu Mazen is in his you know, mid-80s, uh, but there are young Palestinians who have known nothing for their entire lives apart from the uh, grim reality of Israeli occupation, the discrimination, the lack of opportunities, and so on and so forth. And I don't think that they will uh, continue to uh, support it. So I think that's one thing. On Mark Regev's side, the, anything you picked out that he didn't talk about? Well, again, I mean, you know, uh, Mark Regev is, a, a, is, is similarly a, a highly articulate and smooth uh, uh, diplomat, but he didn't talk about in any way, as far as I recall, uh, the opposition within Israel to the uh, uh, implications of um of going ahead with annexation. It's important to point out that Mark Regev, before he was uh, ambassador to, uh, to the UK, spent uh, several years as Netanyahu's personal spokesman. So there is a sense that, I mean, he's, a, you know, he's an affable guy, but he does, uh, he is identified with uh, Netanyahu. And um, he, I, I thought... Yeah. It, it, Yes, he is, and and you know, I, I, I think many people are aware of his background. He did. I did ask him about that. My take on it was he he rather lightly dismissed it. He didn't spend uh, a great deal of time on that, and he referred to the uh, the contact sport 
in uh, in Israeli politics of what Israeli politics was all about. They have many diverse opinions in a free society and and the like. Uh, but you're right. I think we are aware of very significant divergences of opinion amongst the government between Foreign Minister Ashkenazi, between Benny Gantz and uh, the, the Prime Minister. And also, I thought he was rather light on the concerns abroad, which are very serious. And when I challenged him on the Arab state's reaction, and he spoke of the lowest common denominator of the Arab League, um, uh, in actual fact, the individual statements made, particularly by the UAE, have been very critical. They've not been related to the Arab League, and they have said, in effect, normalisation cannot go ahead if annexation goes ahead. And my sense was that uh, he either indicated that Israel's view was we'd heard it all before and nothing ever happens, or he was confident that the uh, although things were being said, um, they would still be able to proceed even if annexation took place because normalisation was more important in the region than annexation. Is that a judgment you think is is well-founded? Well, I agree with you. Uh, I agree with your uh, assessment entirely. I mean, it's true that when uh, uh, Donald Trump uh, with uh, Netanyahu uh, beaming all over his face unveiled his deal of the century, so-called, uh, in uh, in January of, uh, of this year, uh, the... Um, the uh, ambassadors of, if I remember rightly, the UAE, Oman, and Bahrain were uh, in the Oval uh, Office, and they, the Saudi uh, was the Saudi ambassador was uh, conspicuously absent, uh, but I think that they were going through uh, the motions, and uh, the Arab world will. The Gulf states in particular will not ignore this. It may well be the case, of course, that uh, normalization will continue, uh, but in a less in less visible ways. But I I don't think that uh, the consequences of um, of going ahead with annexation that Mark Gregor was so dismissive of. Uh, is uh, is an accurate statement, and certainly not in the case of uh, uh, Jordan and Egypt, which of course uh, have long-lasting uh, peace treaties with Israel. King Abdallah of Jordan, of course, has been uh, extremely outspoken, uh, as has the Crown Prince of uh, Abu Dhabi, uh, Mohammed bin uh, Zayed. Um, but um, the, you're right. You're right. Um, it's right to argue, I think, that the wider Arab world is fed up with the Palestinian cause. There's a sense of fatigue. There's no question about that. Uh, they want to focus on common interests with Israel, the Iranian threat in particular, Israel as a, uh, as a hub of technology and economic opportunity and so on and so forth. But I do think that there are limits to that. And I think that uh, Arab states, and particularly including the Gulf state, will not go uh, uh, on with this normalization, as warned indeed by the, uh, by the Emiratis in particular, uh, if annexation goes ahead. So I do think that there are consequences that Mark Regev was understandably and diplomatically uh, playing down. And I also think that there are, you know, likely uh, repercussions elsewhere in the world. Um, 
if we if we look at Nikolai Mladenov's position uh, and where the current circumstances leave him, I thought he was very down on the uh, on the situation and expressed a, a significant degree of worry. He uh, he said that annexation would be, destroy the prospects uh, of uh, uh, of talks for a very long time. He spoke about the uncertainty that would result. Um, and the only sign of light that he offered, interestingly, was in answer to the question about reconciliation between the, uh, the, the PLO and Hamas. And he referred to that as a massive game changer. I'm not sure if everyone would see it that way, but that was his view. What do you, ta- what do you make of that? Of course, the Palestinian position has so far... Uh, you know, for, what is it, 14 years, 13 years maybe, uh, been been debilitated, hugely affected by the split between uh, Hamas in the Gaza Strip and the PA in Ramallah. And of course, that's been to Israel's advantage. Uh, there's no question about that. Uh, the the PA remains officially committed to the Oslo Accords of 1993. Uh, Hamas doesn't. Uh, it, it was declared back in 2007 by uh, by Israel as a hostile entity. We've seen uh, three three wars since then. Uh, obviously, the Hamas position is that their armed resistance against Israel is entirely legitimate. Uh, they're financially supported, interestingly, by the uh, the Qataris. Uh, and in fact, one of the most interesting things that's happened in the last few days was that uh, the Qataris have uh, reportedly threatened to withdraw uh, their financial support for Gaza if uh, Israeli annexation of parts of the West Bank goes ahead. So that would remove a, a significant element of stabilization, if you like, uh, from the from the Gaza Strip and indeed be uh, a, a, an extremely volatile new element uh, in the um, in the situation. So uh, it is it is important, certainly uh, for the Palestinians to get their act together to reunify uh, in spite of their uh, distinct uh, positions in Ramallah and Gaza. And it may well be that um, that would be a game changer if, uh, if it happens and if it goes ahead. But of course, there are still significant differences between the West Bank and Gaza. Uh, the PA does have uh, an interest in maintaining the status quo. But again, if annexation goes ahead, I think it will be much, much harder for the PA to maintain the status quo. Uh, And so all bets are off. One of the interesting things that's emerged in the last few weeks has been whether or not the United States has been fully behind this. It it, it seemed to me that it started as being uh, very much in favour waned to a degree when Secretary of State Pompeo went to Israel. And now there is a suggestion that it might be more important to see the threat of annexation as something which would bring people back to the table rather than it go ahead. But this places everybody in a very a very awkward situation. 
the, uh, the Israeli political position would presumably be weakened if it did not go ahead with annexation to some degree. The, uh, if, if that doesn't happen, then what would be the reaction of the Palestinians and whether or not there are more attempts being made now by Arab states and others knowing what's at risk to try and see uh, the Palestinian position be, be represented at negotiations rather than just seeing stopping annexation as an end in itself because it isn't. So where do you think we are absolutely with the up-to-date? And uh, if, you, if you were a betting individual, what do you think will happen on July the 1st or shortly afterwards? Well, um, of course, I, I have no idea what will happen uh, on July the 1st or, or shortly afterwards. But clearly Netanyahu has a range uh, of options. I mean, you know, many people who know him well describe him as as as, as sort of schizophrenic in that he's notoriously, well, he's, he's risk averse, uh, generally speaking. But of course, um, he is uh, very aware of his uh, historical legacy. He's also very much aware of the corruption charges that are uh, looming uh, against him. Um, so the it isn't clear what's going to happen. Uh, there's a minimalist version and then there's a maximalist version. And maybe um, you know, maybe it'll be somewhere in the, in, in the middle. Um, you know, part of the part of the Trump plan is approval of or implied approval at least, if not explicitly, for Israeli annexation of the Jordan Valley, that's the strip uh, of land on uh, on the uh, the western side of the of the river uh, of the River Jordan. Uh, but another version could be uh, the annexation of or the application of Israeli law stroke sovereignty, to use uh, the language that is being employed over there, to settlement blocks. So, for example, you know, Maler Dumim, north uh, northeast of uh, Jerusalem, uh, is very much treated as part of uh, the, uh, the Greater Jerusalem area. So, Gush Etzion, uh, the Etzion block, north of uh, south of Bethlehem, is another possibility. Or Ariel, uh, north of uh, uh, Nablus in the uh, in the West Bank are all possible targets for the application of Israeli sovereignty um, uh, annexation by any other name. So the range of possibilities is uh, is uh, is is broad. Uh, Netanyahu may also decide to defer it to pocket his uh, uh, his uh, pressure. To go ahead with it and blame it on his coalition allies, on the blue and white uh, leader uh, Benny Gantz, who finally, after three inconclusive elections, joined his uh, uh, government earlier this year. The range of activities is 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 very broad. If he delays it too long, of course, then he runs into the issue of the November United States elections. Um, well, the window, um, the window of opportunity is, is clearly closing. I mean, given the the state of public opinion in the in the U.S. and the Joe Biden candidacy, uh, then uh, it's 
it's a narrow window of opportunity. But I noticed that uh, just yesterday, the White House was talking about a, a big announcement from President Trump um, in the coming days. So uh, it's not gone away, clearly. Uh, and there are, you know, there are, there are, there are serious implications to this, both in the US and, of course, for Israel and, uh, and the Palestinians. A further complication has arisen with the views of some of the settler community who don't accept the plan either because they fundamentally do not accept in any way the concept of a Palestinian state and they fear that annexation will uh, will not destroy the opportunity for a Palestinian state altogether um, but as part of the Trump plan it foresees it and the settler's aim seems to be clearly to disrupt that. Equally now, uh, as you know, in some areas of the West Bank, a younger generation are saying, well, if there's not going to be two states, we'll have one state uh, with equal rights uh, and the like. Um, uh, does the pressure for one state grow? And can the, uh, can one state ever be what would be accepted by everyone as the basis of a reasonable state, which is where everybody lives in the same place, they all have the same rights? Well, it's fine. In, I mean, just to answer your last point, um, the idea of one state with equal rights is uh, a great idea. Uh, but nobody, and nobody, and I stress that, has any idea of how uh, to achieve that. Nobody has a workable strategy for uh, realizing that vision. Of course, it's become increasingly uh, fashionable particularly amongst younger people, uh, to talk about uh, equal rights between the river and the sea. The river and the sea is obviously the, uh, the Jordan and the Mediterranean. Uh, it's, it's a lightly coded reference, or indeed not coded at all, uh, for equal rights between what it is, uh, what is it, uh, 18 million people. I think, who live uh, in that area. Uh, but nobody has a workable strategy for doing it. Uh, and I'm not convinced that uh, anybody could uh, lay out a, a strategy for doing that. You know, um, the, the principle of two states for the two peoples who are doomed to live in the land between the river and the sea uh, it has, as I said earlier, has has been a, a significant approach to uh, this conflict for uh, you know over 80 years, dating back to British mandatory times. I do not see an alternative. Uh, it's an abstract uh, idea. I would say that it is a it is a fantasy. But you know maybe I'll be proved wrong, and uh, uh, I would uh, indeed you know. If there's no other solution, then go for it. But I don't see that there's a workable strategy uh, for for achieving that. Certainly, um, uh, it, this all adds to the sense of concern that Nikolai Mladenov raised with seeing uh, an end to this being very difficult. And also he raised at the end of his remarks a worry that this would provide an opportunity for further radicalization in the area. And one of the things that has not been part of the, uh, the, the 
issues between Israel and the Palestinians uh, as a significant part of it has been the religious element, which is, of course, in operation throughout much of the rest of the region. Um, do you do you share a concern that uh, this element might come into the equation if there is not a, a basis for negotiations going forward, if this looks to have been the end of the line, and that there are uh, plenty of seriously bad people in the region, as we know, way beyond those who are already in place in, uh, uh, in, in Palestine and Israel, and the door could be opened to something much worse, which Mladenov expressed a fear of. Um, I'm I'm less worried about uh, religious extremism on either side than I am about um, the regional interest being seeing an opportunity, if you like, regional payers, particularly the Iranians. Uh, Iranians all you know already support uh, Islamic Palestinian Islamic Jihad. That's a small group in the Gaza Strip. Uh, they, of course, they support Hezbollah. Uh, in uh, in in Lebanon, uh, I'm less concerned about the uh, the, the religious radicalization. Uh, of course, you know there are always uh, individuals and uh, organisations that would take advantage of the deterioration and the reframing of the uh, of the narrative. But again, um, I, I also you know I wanted to say something about uh, Gaza. I didn't answer your question about um, about the um, the nature of the uh, Israeli opposition, the settler opposition to the uh, to the Trump plan, the Kushner plan, if you like. But you know, it's important to point out that two million Palestinians in Gaza are not part of the story at all. They're not part of the plan in any way. So the Palestinian state, very much in inverted commas proposed by Trump is a, is, is a state in, it, it, only in name. It doesn't control its borders, its airspace, uh, maritime uh, authority whatsoever. And it'll be broken up into enclaves or bantustans, to use an obvious uh, uh, parallel, uh, by uh, Israeli uh, settlements and areas of uh, control. So it's only a state in uh, in name. So the opposition of the Israeli uh, right-wing uh, settlers who see Judea and Samaria as their ancestral uh, homeland is, um, is not really uh, a factor. It is a domestic factor within, uh, within Israel, uh, certainly. You've covered this for a, for a very long time, and uh, I'm interested in what you think of this. Um, in, in his remarks, Nikolai Mladenov expressed sympathy for Trump's approach in trying to shake the kaleidoscope a bit, do something different. And that sense of frustration is shared by many of us who've looked at all the attempts. And although uh, I didn't agree with the proposals put forward by President Trump, I could see and understand the frustration behind it. I was interested that the UN um, uh, special, um, special coordinator thought the same thing. And this also leads back to the persistent Israeli position that is that the Palestinians have missed the opportunity again and again and again to resolve this. And Mark Reger went through that. Uh, and I think there is some 
similarity in what Nikolai Mladenov said about his belief that the Americans at least were trying something different and uh, and the Israeli position, which is also one of frustration in seeking to resolve this and finding it almost impossible to do with the Palestinians. Now, you've seen this you know, for a long time from both sides. What do you make of that persistent Israeli claim that at the end of the day, it is the Palestinians who've walked away from the opportunity of resolving this more often than they have? Well, how long have you got? Goodness me. Um, About five minutes. <laughs> <laughs> the, um, the Israeli claim is a long-standing long one, and it's uh, famously uh, and succinctly uh, encapsulated in the, in the saying of the uh, former uh, late uh, Israeli foreign minister, Abe Ibn, uh, who said the, something like, the Palestinians never miss an opportunity to miss an opportunity. But the fact is, historically, uh, the Palestinians were never uh, consulted ever about the uh, uh, about the Zionist enterprise. Uh, they just weren't, uh, and I think it's important to point that out. In fact, it's very important to point that out. Uh, the whether it was the the, the Ottoman period uh, before the First World War. Or the uh, the British the period of British rule, uh, the Palestinians, the native population, uh, the vast majority, maybe eighty seven percent, in nineteen seventeen when Britain issued the Balfour Declaration, were never consulted about British plans to support the Zionist movement. So there is an Israeli argument which, which said, well, you know, the Palestinians are unrealistic and uh, they have rejected uh, golden opportunities many, many times. But the fact is that the Israeli government, certainly since 1967, has behaved consistently in contravention of international law, which is what, you know, which is, brings us back, of course, to the issue of annexation. Uh, the settlement of uh, of civilians in territory occupied in wartime uh, is illegal in, uh, under international law. Uh, there's no question about that, uh, and that's why this uh, this this annexation or looming annexation uh, may turn out to be an important turning point, precisely because it's supported by the most powerful country on the planet. I'm not saying that the Palestinians are uh, are, are perfect. Uh, they're clearly not. They've uh, they constituted themselves as a movement of national liberation, and they found it hard to make the transition to uh, uh, dealing with Israel. But the fact remains that in 1988, Yasser Arafat, the uh, charismatic, uh, long-standing leader of the PLO recognize the state of Israel. It's important to remember that. And uh, I think that there is no other solution to this most intractable of conflicts uh, other than uh, two states for the two peoples who are doomed uh, to inhabit the land between the, uh, between the river uh, and the sea. So the, the argument, the Israeli argument is Palestinians have always uh, missed opportunities, but the fact is that uh, in um, in the 
1948, Israel was left in control of 78% of mandatory Palestine, and the Palestinians were left in control, although not under, uh, not as an independent state, but under Jordanian and Egyptian rule, of just 22% uh, of the land of mandatory Palestine. And uh, they, uh, they need to reach an agreement, and they need to understand, both sides need to understand, that, they, that, that Israel's uh, unilateral annexation, and arguably uh, an apartheid system with different rights for Jews and non-Jews in Israel, is going to be very, very problematic for the future of uh, the Jewish state. And it's important to point out that that is the annexation question has created alarm amongst Jews who live abroad, both in the U.S. and in this country uh, too, because the yeah anyway that's uh, that's another issue, but uh, it's an important uh, element of the story. It is another issue, and it would be wrong to leave it out. I think in less than five minutes you have answered that that major question incredibly succinctly. Um, in uh, in Hussam Zumlat's comments, he referred to Bantustans and enclaves, uh, as I think Prime Minister Netanyahu had referred to an enclave, and he drew the obvious comparison in relation to apartheid, uh, which must be very, very difficult for um, Israelis to hear, uh, and something which inevitably, uh, you know, I'm sure, the proponents of the scheme would reject. But how damaging do you think that charge would be? And it has come from inside Israel, as well as from the UN and others. And will it be sufficiently serious that those who have not been brokers up to now, like the EU, like the Quartet, like others, because it's been left to the United States, who arguably have moved from a position of being intermediate brokers to, to a party so much identified with Israel that they have lost that, that title, is the challenge now, or would the challenge now be so significant that other parties, including Arab states and the EU, and those who I think uh, Nikolai Melavnov would very much like to get more involved to say, we cannot leave this as it is, and it is time for us now to be engaged. What do you think? Well, I think that if annexation doesn't go ahead, um, then uh, the status quo of 53 years since 1967 uh, is not a great position to be in either. The problem is that Israel has, particularly under the uh, with the support of the Trump administration in recent years, uh, has proved uh, resilient to the the habits, if you like, of uh, international uh, pressure, and the international pressure has not been significant. Uh, you know. Um, there's an argument that says that uh, Israel uh, has maintained the status quo in a cost-free way uh, over over the last uh, over the last uh, half century or more. Uh, and I, it may be that the um, that the debate over annexation and the interest that it's aroused and the alarm that it's aroused as well uh, will serve to refocus international attention uh, on this uh, on this conflict but look you know you don't need me to tell you that there are many many uh, distractions the covid-19 crisis the rise of china 
the dysfunctional uh, leadership from uh, the United States. Uh, there are many, many issues that appear to be more urgent uh, globally than this uh, wearily familiar one. So uh, I'm not holding my breath, but maybe uh, if annexation goes ahead or it's a minimal uh, gesture because of the uh, pressures that are becoming apparent, then it will galvanize uh, uh, the international community to take a, a closer interest and to, um, to uh, respond more uh, in a more effective way than it has done in the past. Um, I'm no fan of Donald Trump, of course, uh, but uh, previous American presidents have also not managed to resolve uh, this uh, the uh, Israel uh, Palestine conflict, including uh, you know President Obama and uh, his uh, indefatigable uh, uh, Secretary of State uh, John Kerry. Who, who oversaw the last talks we have seen in the spring of 2014, so over six years ago, uh, between the Israelis and Palestinians. So maybe, maybe to end on a, uh, on a cautiously positive note, uh, the debate over annexation will galvanize uh, the United States, and hopefully under President Joe Biden, to, to tackle this uh, issue not only for the sake of the Palestinians, but of course uh, for uh, Israel as well in its own long-term interests. Well, that is a, a, a good way to bring this to a, to a conclusion insofar as we, we can. Um, I, I hope we speak for a number of people around the world who, whose primary interest in this is to see it resolved. Um, it is neither to be on one side nor the other but it is to be on the side of a peaceful, just settlement of issues that, in classic terms, uh, preserves and ensures the secure in existence of the State of Israel and also, at the same time, provides a just settlement for the Palestinians uh, and a Palestinian state, as has long been the view of the international community. It's been a matter of great sadness to me over the years, 30 odd years of being involved as backbencher and minister, that we haven't reached that situation for reasons um, that are complex but uh, and remain complex and difficult to resolve. But ultimately it must be, because it is still, uh, in the words of many, in Israel itself, not least the intelligence and security, the failure to resolve this issue is as much a threat to Israel as anything that it faces from outside as you referred to in your book, page 449, where you quoted a former leader of Shin Bet, the, um, the intelligence agency in Israel, as saying, as saying just that. Um, and what we can do uh, is hope that in the next few days, the sense of goodwill will prevail and people will realise that here is a watershed that need not be crossed and that perhaps uh, something else can emerge out of it. And indeed, if President Trump can do this, uh, I would be, for one, very appreciative and very grateful. But I think it will need the rest of the world community, including the United Kingdom, to be engaged in relation to this. Uh, so, Ian, thank you for your time and commitment to this over many years and for your time with CMEC uh, this morning. And uh, thank you to everyone who has followed all these various uh, conversations uh, and supports the work that CMEC does. So, Ian, thank you very much indeed. Thank you, Alistair.